Welcome to another episode of Chan with a Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan. And in this episode, we will be teaching entry to mid-level professionals, fundamentals of financial management. My financial literacy as a youth and in my early 20s was terrible. I thought the path to financial stability was to save more than you make. And although the idea of that is nice, it isn't actually feasible. And as you hear in this episode, one of the main lessons when it comes to money is it either is growing or dying. So if you think that you can earn money and then save a portion of it in a savings account, then you're sorely mistaken because interest in a savings account is very small and inflation will end up eating away those savings. If you are somebody that has just started their career in corporate at an entry-level job, or you've been working at a company for a few years, or have worked in the corporate world for a few years, then this episode will give you some much-needed financial education to help you build long-term wealth. To help me discuss this topic of financial literacy and management, I have brought on Kirsten Granados, who's been providing sound financial advice for her clients for over five years. A little bit about Kirsten. She is currently the founder of Grow and Arrow based in Irvine, California. Kirsten is known for bringing a holistic approach to financial literacy and equipping others with the tools to harness their power. In addition to her experience of serving communities over five years in the industry, Kirsten also served others in the real estate industry in the residential sector. Kirsten has earned the partnership of Fortune 100 firms and been recognized by Miss Korea USA as the voice of financial confidence for corporate warriors. When she's not behind the screen, she has a passion for learning new languages and she's currently learning Mandarin. Now let's get into my discussion with Kirsten on providing the fundamentals of financial management for entry to mid-level professionals. Hey, Kirsten. How's it going? Awesome. Thanks for having me here. No problem. I really appreciate you spending some time with us to discuss financial literacy. And to add to that, the reason why I wanted to bring you on is the big issue, like even for me in a personal level, is when I was in high school or university, I never really had that financial education. I didn't even know how to put my money into like proper investments. There's a lot of lack of financial knowledge out there in terms of how to budget properly, how to invest in the right assets in order to grow your equity over time. Our general education is to like do good in school, get good grades, and then do well in interviews and get a job. And then we get that paycheck. But we don't really know what to do with that paycheck to really maximize our equity for the future, as well as being able to live comfortably in the present. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of your upbringing and how did you end up as a financial coach? I appreciate you asking and thank you so much, Max, for the opportunity. To be honest, I wasn't always in the financial sector. I previously was in real estate and shadowed a lot of my father's business as he worked primordially with investors in real estate flipping and property development sector for over 25 years. So growing up and working with these executives and business owners, sometimes after having the opportunity to serve families, I realized the fact that there was a big gap between what people should know and what people did know. And then in 2008, my family was one of those affected by the financial crisis that happened at that point in time. And I realized there was so many things that I wish we had known And many of our friends and clients had known as well. 
And ultimately that prompted to me later years down the road through a wonderful mutual connection and friend of my father's to get my toes deep, become more familiar with financial literacy, and then ultimately pursue it as my full-time passion. So going back to what you said in terms of the knowledge gap between what people do know and what people don't know, like how big was the gap when you started to get into the financial industry? Oh, it was so wide. I realized that in school, there is so much teaching and there's a lot of education that revolves around corporate budgeting, around keeping accounting and things in terms of how to protect a entity's finances. But there wasn't too much touching base around our own finances in terms of our own unique personal circumstances and situations and reality, how we should position ourselves to be in a better place. You, you built a client base over the years. What's your demographic in terms of your clientele? I've had the privilege of primordially working with a lot of young professionals and a lot of millennials, people around, I would say anywhere around 25 to 35 years old. These people, maybe they've already been in corporate America a few years, seasoned in terms of confidence in their career path, but maybe not as confident about how to build that strong financial tomorrow. And I've seen the struggles that they've encountered. And it's ultimately really rewarding to be able to serve them and help them gain more clarity. So what are some common questions and struggles that this demographic has that they come to you for in terms of providing a solution? So one of the things is their income grows, or maybe they're some do or some don't have student loans, maybe not as much if they're international students or they were at some point, but they want to know, okay, my income grew now. How much should I be saving? In terms of taxes, how do these programs or different investment vehicles work that my employer is providing me? How much should I be contributing to them? How will they affect me, not just now, but also later down the road? These are a few of the common questions that I frequently encounter. So let's dive into that and into those questions. So what are the options for investing? So I have my paycheck. Let's say I have $2,000 net. What are some investment options that people should explore in terms of making sure that their money is working for them as well? Absolutely. So there are several other factors that definitely circle around this. But I would say in addition to a small portion of putting that in their as their emergency savings in terms of just a savings account in a bank. But ideally, if you have, I would say any more than a few months, put it in a digital bank. There are so many other ones like Synchrony, Ally, so many other places that will provide you better opportunities than just traditional banking institutions. Beyond that, I would say some people, they like to, if their company matches them, do take advantage of that free matching your company's providing you in terms of your 401k. However, if let's say your company provides you the option of a Roth 401k or a traditional, I would go for the Roth because definitely you want to avoid the tax effect that's going to occur later on. And then also some people, they feel, oh, I want to do something a little bit more aggressive on the side. Definitely see also there's other options in terms of like index funds, mutual funds, depending on that person's goals and situations, there's diverse tools that can be used to reach your goals. Those are some of the options. So let's say like there's a lot of taxes involved as well. So what I'm trying to get at in terms of my next question is, again, let's go back to the $2,000 biweekly paycheck model. Like what percentage, I know it varies between like salaries or what have you, but let's say, should you invest like 
10% out of every paycheck should be into some sort of emergency fund. 20% should be invested in somewhere else. And then 50% should be on your expenses. So like, what's a good general idea? Right. So I would say at least a good five to 7% in terms of just savings at the beginning. Um, it also depends on that person's debt to income ratio as well. And then generally, if they have some more room to play around with, I would say another 20% maybe that divided into things that are more medium, short to medium term investment vehicles, and then another portion to more longer term investment vehicles. In terms of taxation, a lot of professionals that are coming out, they get their paycheck and they see a lot of these taxes. Can you dive more in a little bit of detail in terms of like what type of taxes get taken away from your paycheck, which gives you the net? Sure. When you are W, when you're W two or you're an employee overall, you will see that in terms of your income tax, there's a few things like factored in. Maybe your boss contributes a little bit to Social Security. There's all these different things that happen. However, one of the things that I find beneficial is to take into consideration the big picture. So for example, last year, maybe some people, they had a health situation. They don't realize, hey, your medical expenses, a portion of that can also be tax deductible. Doesn't matter if you're single, married, what position you're in. So that can also be something to consider. Another aspect is if you have a passion project, maybe consider learning about how to monetize that. So then as an entrepreneur, there's other fiscal benefits as well that are available and can help lower that tax liability that you have as an employee as well. I'm going to go on a little bit of a fun question. Have you heard of Millennial Money on CNBC? Have you heard that show? Oh, gosh, I will be honest. I am not too much on TV these days. So I may have seen it in my feed, but I may have scrolled past it. So no. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So one of the things is that a lot of these millennials, like they don't really allocate their money properly. Like some do, but a lot are a bit reckless. And I know the one of the biggest things that professionals have is lifestyle inflation, which I'm sure you're familiar with. So let's say they make 50k one year, and then they make 65 like a few years down the road. Let's say they got promotion or they went to another job, and then they make that 65, and then instead of investing what they've the extra, they end up spending it. Have you gotten a lot of that with some of your clients where they ended up making more money, but then they end up spending more? So what are some of the tips that you can provide in terms of making sure that they still have that plan in place and not be tempted to spend the new income that they have or the new additional income that they are earning? Absolutely. I would say that honoring their blueprint does become a little bit of a challenge, especially when there's that pressure from friends to shift their lifestyle and participate in more things that may drastically affect their net income. One of the things that I would encourage them to keep in mind is just when you make a choice or you make a decision, is it because you're doing it to gain the approval of others? Or is it because this is going to serve you and honoring your truth and be aligned with your goals? So I think having these raw, honest conversations with oneself it's not sexy. Nobody likes to talk about it. <laughs> but in the medium long-term run, it will serve you to avoid headaches and asking, oh my goodness. A lot of people, they do like benefits of keeping that plan and keeping that roadmap. But the thing is, are we willing to put the habits just like exercise, the compound pounding, so when the time comes, we can withdraw. When you get married, you can buy that house, all these different areas. So speaking of compounding, 
the one thing that I didn't really understand in terms of investments, and many people coming out of uh, university college in their first job will probably have the same uh, issues that I did when I started out, is the magic of in investments in terms of compounding, right? So what I'm trying to say is, let's say you contribute to an investment that pays you like 5% and you contribute $200 monthly, but you are gaining interest on the principal and your monthly contribution as well as the interest. So can you explain more to the audience in terms of how significant that compound effect is and why you should continually contribute even though sometimes it's tempted just to use that money on somewhere else? I like to compare it to the gym. So this thing called compound interest, Albert Einstein, he did call it the eighth wonder of the world for a reason. I mean, the guy was wickedly smart. And the thing is, when you're young, you can afford to be lazy smart. And what do I mean lazy smart? I mean, you can get away with investing less than if you try to apply the same habit, but you have less time. And we think about it in this way. Rule of 72 is a great way to mathematically just see this compounding effect. You divide your interest rate by 72 and you're going to be able to see how fast your money is going to double. Same thing also applies when it comes to debt. But just like the gym, if we want to do a three-hour workout one day and then don't show up the next five days, my goodness, you're not going to see abs until probably nine months down the road. I'm just being honest here. <laughs> but if you embrace, you choose to embrace, hey, I'm going to do 30 minutes. I'm going to do small habit, that small effort every single day over time in the long run, it's going to do so much more for you. Obviously, investments, they, they go up and down. And some people, they say, oh, I, I'd rather be more liquid and have the money in the bank. But can you explain to our viewers the power of inflation and how not putting your money to work is actually going to hurt you in the long run and actually be poorer in the long run? Because again, investments can give you that interest over time. But if you leave the money in the, sitting in the bank and don't spend it, then it gets eaten by inflation and you're actually making less. So can you explain more in depth on how impactful inflation is to your net worth? The thing with inflation is I've seen it in terms of my parents' story. When they immigrated here years ago, the price of gas, my gosh, you could buy it for under a buck. Now try getting that, pumping that same gallon of gas. It is skyrocket through the roof. Another great example is college tuition. Imagine when our parents went to college, maybe they could work a summer job and save up for college. But us trying to get into that same university now, it requires a full-on investment. It's no longer, okay, you know, I can just kind of slide my way through, unless, of course, you're, you're very academically gifted in terms of your, your scholar attributes. I think under... Estimating the impact of inflation is something so toxic because with money, it's either it's growing or it's dying, the, the effect. There's no really a stagnancy. You can't really just plateau and say, I'm not being proactive because if you're not being proactive, your asset is just going backwards bit by bit. And to go back to the, the schooling in terms of obviously uh, Canada, the universities are, are a bit cheaper than U.S. I know U.S. there's a lot of uh, students that have like loans in the thousands of dollars. And even if you're a mid-career professional with at least a few years of experience, you're still paying down that debt because it's so massive. So what are some tips and advice that you can provide in terms of paying down that debt faster so they can be debt-free of that student loan? 
So one of the things that I would share to consider is looking into refinancing. Sometimes there may be opportunities to work around that interest rate. That's one thing. The other aspect of let's just say I have a few acquaintances that they're going into studies and a career that is requires many, many years like law school, medical school. One of the things that I would suggest for them is, hey, think outside of the box in terms of how maybe some of your passions you can monetize and profit with them. I know some people, they look into maybe vlogging, blogging, having a YouTube channel, expressing their opinions, or maybe some of the struggles that they encounter with this. Other people, they have different side projects or they support people with something that they're very passionate about. So I think just exploring different ways to increase your revenue, the maximum you can lower your expenses is zero. But the one thing that has no limit is your potential for increasing your revenue. So thinking of unconventional ways and just seeing outside of the box beyond what you exactly studied for can serve you in that point. When I was in school, it was always about just getting that nine to five job, not doing anything else. But with things are revolutionizing due to the internet and COVID, a lot of people are now thinking of additional ways to make more income, such as a side hustle. So what I'm trying to get at is, do you see in terms of being able to fulfill your financial goals, whether that's investments or paying down debt, do you see more nine to five professionals trying to dive into side hustles? Do you see that with your clients or like people you know in the age range that you serve? Of course. I see it all the time. I see it because they realize that their income potential is capped after a certain period, or maybe it's dependent on promotion. Maybe it's dependent on seniority in their corporate environment. And therefore, they seek to define their potential by exploring in in the waters of entrepreneurship and seeing what else they can embrace. This is why some people have had the privilege to meet. They're saying, hey, you know what? I decided to get my real estate license. I decided to get my license in financial services industry. I decided to explore other ventures. Some people, it's maybe through the waves of of social media because people, they desire to express themselves in different ways. And if there's an opportunity to build a community for meaningful relationships and monetize on that, why not? Can you give me some examples of some common side hustles that you've seen, whether it's your clients or friends or acquaintances of yours? I've seen some people, they dive into different ventures from e-commerce, from people developing YouTube channels. Other people, they decide to just do copywriting, maybe writing blogs, writing articles. They're ghostwriters for other people, all the way from people being realtors, diving into mortgage or even photography. People, they have different, I would say, focuses and different gifts and strengths. So kind of exploring and seeing how you can provide value to others with things you really enjoy can be really rewarding in the financial side as well. Great. So let's stop talking about the gloom about like paying off student debt. So let's say I'm a mid-career professional. I've been working for a few years. I've been renting again for a few years as well, uh, whether it's by myself or with my boyfriend, girlfriend. How can I take the next step uh, in terms of having a financial plan to get that first home? A few things to keep in mind. I would say that number one, when you think of having that first home, I would say that having your mind focused on the benefits of just building equity first rather than so much the aesthetic experience. 
seeing ways that maybe your first home it will be a starter home. Maybe it won't be the dream home that you've always imagined in terms of that palace in Bali, you know, you've been wanting or the places that are more Instagram friendly, but understanding that this is a good way for you to build credit, show that responsibility and just being realistic in terms of what area the real estate is going to be located at. A lot of times people, they want to rent and own in the same area, but it can be completely different in terms of just the interest rates and all the other implications that are involved as well. Okay. I know you're in the, you were in the real estate industry before. Do you have people that have decided to, okay, I'm going to buy a home, but I'm going to, let's say, rent out the basement. Is that a good option in terms of paying down that mortgage faster or paying down any sort of debt faster? I would say in terms of you're talking like semi Airbnb thing, I think having roommates is not a bad thing. If there are people that you, they trust and are responsible in terms of, let's just say maybe you have a either multifamily unit or a larger home, or maybe just a, a friend younger than you, you're trying to help out with. I think it is a responsible way to help you tackle that mortgage and lower your interest rate that you won't have to pay as much or just cut down the amount of time you do have to pay that private mortgage insurance. What's some advice in terms of getting the best interest rate on that mortgage? Like, Is it better to go to the bank? I, obviously, there's private lenders too. So what type of advice can you provide in terms of finding the right lender? So I would say that number one, building up your credit score like the soonest as possible and being responsible with that. Building up a good FICO score is so much more important. I understand some people, they like focusing only on the principal and the down payment, but having that evidence and that proof of your responsibility is something really important. And then also exploring down payment assistant programs nationwide, depending on the institution that's located nearest to you. There's ones with lower interest rates as well. And working with realtors that have a team and people that may be beyond just one professional, but seeking out that resource that is equipped with different people in their arsenal. A lot of times they can just say, oh, you know what, um, go to the bank. However, they may be missing out on an opportunity that even they themselves are not aware of. How can one uh, build their credit score in order to be approved for like a larger mortgage or a bigger loan? Yeah, what are some tips in order to improve and get that credit score uh, higher? I would say when you're as youngest as possible and you are starting to have a little bit of income, even just groceries that you start buying, I'm not talking about only the significant purchases, but when you start to buy laptops, tech items, we're not even discussing going into cars, but just that history of you paying things on time, of you being responsible not buying things late, and then also being mindful. There are some that offer great cashback incentives. Before COVID, there were ones that also provided points you know, for traveling. So there is a lot of great loopholes, I think, as long as you just keep your eyes out and being open to exploring the waters and seeing lack of action as a bigger risk than do take action. Yeah, for sure. And just talking about um, credit cards in terms of like the cashback, all that, what's the detrimental uh, significance of you just paying the minimum payment? Like what should someone do in order to pay down the credit card faster? 
So we call it a debt stacking or um, the snowball effect. I think one of the toxic things with just paying the minimum payment is that, number one, we think about the rate of your loan compounding is going to be faster when you just leave it up to chance. The Instead of really tackling on saying, hey, this is not my money. I don't own this thing. Definitely looking at your income, your own personal budget and seeing how you can reallocate things and make some shifts in terms of just lifestyle. We know people like to live a lot in the moment, especially even more right now with COVID people, you don't want to take things for granted. That is true. However, you do want to position yourself in a place so your habits of today don't affect your opportunities of tomorrow by not paying off that interest. Let's talk about cars. You and I both know that cars are a depreciating asset because as soon as you leave the lot with the car, the value goes straight down, right? So what I want to ask you is there's obviously an option to lease a car and there's obviously an option to finance. Leasing, like once the lease term's done, you have an option to pay the remain balance to get the car or just return it, right? And then finances, you have the car and then you just pay the monthly payment until it's done. So my question to you is what... As, as a mid-career professional, do they for their next vehicle, do you recommend them lease or do you recommend them finance or it really depends on their financial situation at the moment? I would say it really depends if that person is an employee or entrepreneur and also their commute that they have. Some people, like right now, especially with COVID, travel has revolved so much for some people. Some people, they turned into travel junkies in terms of them taking a lot of road trips. So for them, maybe leasing because of the fiscal benefits may be a better option because they don't have to assume the responsibility. They don't have to pay all of the repairs involved in terms of oil changes and all the unglamorous parts of owning a car. However, for somebody that doesn't honestly need to need to travel as much, well, maybe for them, they may just even rent a car at some point. So I think it just depends a lot on the lifestyle. Things really have evolved with 2020, shifting people's needs, their goals, and really how they, they show up in the world. Going back to like bad purchases, like what are some common purchases that you recommend people try to reduce or stop doing in order to, over time, have more money available to allocate to different investments. So one of the bad habits is, let's say, like before COVID, people would get their morning coffee at Starbucks. And if coffee's like five bucks and you do that for the whole week, obviously for that year and then two years, three years, that's a lot of money gone on coffee when you can just make it at home, right? So what are some common purchases that people should cut back on and reduce that aren't really necessary in order to help propel their financial goals for the future? I would say one of the things that I encounter a lot of professionals doing are, I mean, I understand, I get it. A lot of people are starved for human interaction nowadays. And people, whenever they do a get together, they like to make it a really big or special occasion. I would say in terms of, do you really need to do that takeout from that place? Or is it possible that Maybe instead of celebrating at such nice, fancy places, why don't you do more frequent get-togethers instead of just going all out on this one place that may make your social media feed look good, but your wallet not so much. So I would say avoid doing things for others, for things that are 
aesthetically pleasing on different social media feeds. That's one thing. Another thing is watch out for your app subscriptions. Oh my goodness. So many people I see, they come across different apps. They don't even know they're paying for them. They don't realize each one comes up and they're just monthly auto-renewing. And I'm like, when was the last time you even used this? I'm not even talking just Netflix. I'm talking about a bunch of different things. And I'm like, you realize you could maybe condense some of these on free platforms like YouTube. So watching out for those, those can be like a silent, I would say, mouse just eating away at your financial cheese. Okay, so let's talk about you. How has your financial habits changed from prior to being a financial coach to you doing it for a few years? Like you've helped a lot of clients, but how have you also changed your habits for the better financially? To begin with, I think the greatest gift that I've received is to having changed beliefs about money and separating myself, my patterns, my habits from those that I had seen in my family and seeing money more about as an energy. Like I'm just recirculating finances and just detaching any sort of positive or negative energy when I use it or I spend it. I think having a limitless perception around money is so empowering. That's one of the greatest gifts that I've had the blessing to receive and not having a scarcity mindset. And a lot of times we think about, oh, to invest this way is bad because, you know, having too much money just corrupts you. Because some people, maybe due to the religious background, they think about, oh, you know what? Money is the root of all evil. And we backtrack about, is it really that money is the root of all evil or more about the love of money is the root of all evil? And because people want to avoid being evil, Therefore, they develop this negative sentiment and energy towards wanting to grow money. So I think just identifying those false beliefs is something that's been really powerful for me. And I want to talk about that in terms of the mindset of about money. My parents, grandparents, they always wanted to like save every dollar. People don't save to riches. They invest to riches, right? So my belief since I was young is that you have to save as much as possible for retirement but we already talked about like inflation and everything and that'll just eat it up over time the thing that i've learned is you probably heard of dave ramsey right he's the big financial guy in us and he's always talking about like investments and all that right and I, i've changed my mindset in terms of focusing more on trying to save every dollar turning into okay what can i take this dollar and make it two dollars or three dollars so a lot of professionals they do have that scarcity mindset about money but in order to succeed you have to be focused more on that abundance mindset so i wanted you to just give the audience some tips on how to change that programming in terms of focusing that money scarcity there's only a very limited amount and focus more on what can i do to make more because as you said before there's only so many expenses you can cut but there is going to be a baseline of expenses that you have to pay for like every month. So how can people like change their mindset from the scarcity more to abundance? Say, what can I do to bring value to the world to get more money? For me, it was asking myself the tough questions. Where did I get this from? Why do I believe this? And kind of backtracking even to childhood memories in terms of what I had seen growing up what I had witnessed, what I had heard, the type of conversations around me. And this made me realize, I'm like, oh, this is why I believe in real estate. Oh, because of something they said. Oh, it was because of what they commented on the news. So a lot of our behavior that we developed and adopted and embraced today as part of our own identity 
are things that we picked up and we hugged as our own that we saw as a child. So going back and then thinking about, wait, what were my own parents or the people closest to you? What was their relationship like with money? And then you kind of realize whose behaviors, habits, and even energy patterns you're duplicating. And you realize they're not your own. <laughs> yeah, it's just our product of our environment, right? So if you have a family that is always focused on the scarcity money, you'll have that scarcity mindset. So it, it, it does become difficult to like deprogram yourself. But as you've done with your clients, like when you change your mindset up and ha- develop good habits, you are able to build that equity that you're looking for, right? Absolutely. So I wanted to end this discussion with just what's your big takeaway that you want my audience to take away with in terms of their financial education like what do you want them to do like the next day or the next year in terms of making sure that they have that financial focus in order to get to where they want in terms of the goals that they're trying to achieve i'd say drop the fear when it comes to exploring and having an open mind and being proactive about what action what thing you can do to improve your current situation in terms of Sometimes it's really comfortable. I used to be there before asking those that we know, asking maybe your HR department or friends, but I would say exploring alternative resources, picking up a book or going to maybe a webinar you've been wondering about. Just exploring different mediums and educating yourself can help give you a more open and seasoned perspective about how is the best way to approach your building of your own financial blueprint. There's always that fear aspect when someone wants to try something new, they always want to revert back. So like a good example is let's say you invest in index funds and you see it go down and you say, oh, this is not working. Let me take it back. Right. So how do you push back past that fear and say, okay, this is the right thing. Just keep going, even though there's going to be some obstacles along the way. I'd say looking at it just like a part of life in terms of when you're learning to walk. My gosh, I don't know too many people that they just didn't crawl they got up and started running. It's the same thing. There will be moments when you you stumble, you fall down. There is an ebb and flow. And honestly, the highs, the those wins, those gains, they wouldn't taste as good. They wouldn't feel as good if it weren't without the lows. It's a part of life. And there is that cyclical component that occurs. Really appreciate the advice today. How can people find you online in terms of learning more about what you do and what type of financial advice you can provide? Of course. So I am on LinkedIn majority of the time. You can feel free to find me on my profile, Kirsten Granados. If there's any questions, I'm more than happy to clarify or create clarity. You can DM me there. So again, I really appreciate the financial knowledge you've given my audience. And best of luck for the rest of the year, Kirsten. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. And I look forward to hearing more from your wonderful insights. Thank you. That discussion should have definitely ramped up your financial literacy and help you build the foundation and take the proper steps on building long-term financial wealth. I want to take a few minutes right now to highlight a few things that I thought were really important in my conversation with Kirsten. The first is allocation of your finances. Kirsten recommends when it comes to putting money in different spots. The first and most important is having an emergency savings or a rainy day fund. When it comes to corporate benefits, if the company does 401k matching, you should definitely utilize that opportunity. The other option is a Roth IRA where you can put money into that account and it can grow tax-free. 
Outside of corporate, you can also try index funds or mutual funds. In terms of money dangers, one of the biggest things that you should watch out for is lifestyle inflation. So whenever you make a financial decision, you always want to ask yourself, are you making this financial decision because you want approval from others? Or is it actually going to serve you and honor your truth and aligns with your goals for the present and the future? If you are an entry level employee right now and you don't have a lot of money to play with, it's still good to invest because the longer your investing time horizon is, and you do have a lot when you're in your early to mid 20s, the better off you will be. It is way better to contribute a little bit now and do it consistently over time than in your 30s or 40s investing more trying to play catch up and the last thing i want to touch on is that you can only reduce your expenses so much yes you can reduce your expenses to zero but everybody has to live somewhere and pay at least rent so with that being said stop playing defense and trying to conserve money and start playing offense and find different opportunities that you can utilize in order to make extra money to help speed up your financial goals again this is chan with the plan the podcast i'm your host max chan If you found this episode useful, I would really appreciate it if you share it with your friends and family to help support the show. I post new episodes every Tuesday on all popular podcast platforms. You can also feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, where I post daily content on topics such as job search, career advice, and personal branding. That's it for me, and I'll see you next time.